So we're up to, the Ramchal has pointed out a very interesting concept that the, the elements of the Bria, there's different elements and so on, you know. And um, he has talked about, in many ways, the concept of what's called transcendental forces, Koyach Nevdolam, that the physical universe is not just physical, but we are linked in a spiritual sphere to transcendental forces. And not only we are linked to them, but they form a counterpart. They are really us. They are the root of us. When he, God created the, uh, the, the, the whole universe, first he created the universe as a spiritual composite. Then from them, they evolve into a physical universe. I mentioned like the example, it's like marionette strings. You know, the strings of a marionette are controlled by the device, control device and so on, you know. Therefore, we are linked to a spiritual universe. And that spiritual universe is the root and an exact counterpart or parallel to the physical universe. Can you close that window? Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, a, a composite. And therefore, when God wants to do something, right, he doesn't affect the person here, in that sense. What he does is he affects the control device called the parallel universe, and he just manipulates that. But he doesn't manipulate that, really. The one who manipulates that, as I mentioned last week, are malachim, are angels. They manipulate that, you see. And that's really what angels do. Uh, there are interfaces between God okay, and the physical world. But the, the malachim, what they do is control that counterpart universe, and therefore that influences us. And since we are connected to that universe, anything that happens in, those, in that universe of, of the parallel, the transcendental forces <clears throat> immediately uh, affects us. And, and so on, you know. And I mentioned last week what nature is. It's an instruction sheet which Malachim always follow. That's nature, you see. And if God says all of a sudden to a Malach, change it, change the instruction, then that's called miracle. In other words, there's no, nothing inherent in nature to be nature. It's just an instruction sheet that a Malach follows. And if for whatever reason God wants to change the instructions, then that's a deviation of nature. We call it miracle, and it simply means the Malach manipulates the counterpart universe in a different way. Because what's important to know is everything is represented in that universe called the spiritual forces, trans transcendental forces. In other words, your actions, the entity that you are, the attributes, the characteristics that you have, the interactions between everybody else, your thoughts, and your speech, everything has representation in that universe. So if you know what to manipulate in that universe, you can influence a person's thought, his speech, or his actions. Because that is a direct control over every physical entity. And that's really the way it works. You see. <clears throat> now, so that's what the Ramchal has been saying uh, until now. But like I mentioned, you know, it's not just actions, but it's also speech and thought that is also connected to that counterpart universe. You see. Now, Ramchal is now going to add to this dimension. 
in that type of connection. He talks about free will, that that alters something. Now normally we know, for instance, take an animal. Why does an animal do what it does? It has no free will, you see, because the malach, which is assigned to that model, the counterpart model of that animal, the malach manipulates that control device. And therefore, the, with a certain regularity, right? And therefore, the, that animal acts predictably according to that list, which becomes its nature, you see? And the, the direction of the force is from top to bottom. You see, it's called Isarusa Delielo. The movement starts from above, you see? And the animal must respond to the movement of its counterpart in an upper world, you see? So therefore, that's one way. But what's interesting is that since a human being has free will, then a human being, there are two different types of movements. One movement is from up, what's called Isaruta Delielo, movement from above, it starts from above and goes down and the person has to act. So that Malach can control you, every aspect of you, by manipulating your transcendental force that represents you. But, since you have free will, you can actually initiate an action, you see, uh, uh, which does not start from up, but you initiate the action, which means that the counterpart follows you. You see, it's almost like a marionette moves his arm, and therefore the string that he's connected to moves as a result of that. Not that the control first and the, and the marionette uh, second. It's the marionette first, and then the control second. And that's the concept of free will. You see. What's that? Two way. Who? It's two-way. It's a two-way street. Yeah. But only somebody has free will does it become a two-way street. If it's, you know, an animal, everything else is a one-way street. But a human being, a ju and even Goyim have free will, right? Everybody, all humans have free will. They can, they can initiate the action first, and then the counterpart moves exactly in accordance with what they move. So it, you can work at either end, you see? And that's what the Ramchal says, that th that's an exception to the rule, you see? <clears throat> So therefore, in a certain sense, we are dependent and we are independent of that counterpart. We are independent because we can actually initiate an action first. And that action will control or move the device that we are connected to, that transcendental force. Or vice versa. That force can move and force us into an action, a thought, or a speech, you see. And, and it all depends on what God wants. Those things which have free will, then all actions based on free will initiate from us. But many times God decrees things against people. You see, He decrees things against people. For what? Either for punishment. So let's say He wants you to go to a certain place, and in that place you'll trip and fall. So you have no Bechira. You had to have gone to that place because the angel manipulates that force therefore you have to go there or for reward he wants to reward you but you know there's no reward really but what it does mean he wants to put you in a better position to do more mitzvahs 
Like man, all of a sudden he made this sign, I want to give you more money. So, so you'll invest in the right stock, right? So you're investing in that stock. What well, has nothing to do with your free will? God made you invest in that stock so you can become wealthy. So it's not a reward, so to speak, but what it is, is an, uh, a, re a promotion of opportunity to be able to do more mitzvahs, tzedakah, and so on, you see? So in that case, whether it be reward or punishment, or even to change your, your what do you call it, your situation in which you are tested. God may want to change your situation that you are tested, right? And all of a sudden, you find something happens. Okay, so that also is because it, the movement goes from up to down. But where it's truly a mitzvah, then you exhibit free will, and that automatically changes the position or where the force is, is initiated. <clears throat> you see, so that's, that's a very interesting concept, which way things do which way things will actually go. <clears throat> What's interesting is that when you interact, let's assume you have free will, right? You have free will, and you decide to do something, an action, to an object, you see? So not only do you move the counterparts that are connected to you. See, for instance, let's see this cup, right? I have free will. Okay, so I go like that to the cup, right? So two things happen. I move my counterpart transcendental force, but since I move the cup, I move the cup's transcendental force that is connected to the cup. You see, so not only do I have an influence on myself, but I have an influence on anything else, and that immediately so that's also in many ways a movement from below to up so even though a cup normally is moved by whatever the instructions are of the angel as regards the counterpart of that cup right but since i have free will and i initiate a free will action on my own right so not only my own but whoever i interact with i will influence that thing's spiritual counterpart and i move that so theoretically, I can move the entire Bria. A one person can set into motion an enormous amount of movement in the, in the uh, spiritual realm because he influences the counterpart of that thing. Yeah, go ahead. Everybody got that? This is interesting. So you theoretically can, can move the entire counterpart of many, many things, you see, by, uh, you know, if one guy gives a speech, and all of a sudden, he motivates millions of people to go and do what he wants them to do. Then guess what? He just shifted an incredible amount of that universe because now everything has to react to these people. So in many ways, the guy has unbelievable control over the entire universe, which is a counterpart, because of his free will. So it's not only initiating his own movement or his speech or his thought. He can do that to everybody else and automatically he influences their counterpart universe, which show which is really an enormous amount of control, you know? Anyway. You want to add something? Yeah. Now what you're saying extends to thoughts also. Correct? Yes. Speech and thought. Now 
you could be driving in the car and all of a sudden you're thinking about something that had happened 50 years ago that you never even gave a, 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 second, a second thought about. That's not your free will. It's just popped in your mind. Yeah, that's... That's coming from on high? High down here, correct. Yeah. Yeah. The free will is what are you going to do about that thought? But there are many things that come into you, your thoughts and your mind. It's really from this, it's called the unconscious stream. We don't realize it, but uh, we, have an, we have an unconscious stream of thoughts that we're not aware of. But there's a whole stream of thinking, you know, uh, it's, uh, that constantly come in the unconscious. And by the way, it's just, it's, uh, which is interesting to know, you know, <clears throat> A, a lot of those thoughts that we have that are not even conscious in many ways are anxiety provoking we don't realize that that's why so many people are so nervous you know why are we nervous you know we don't even know why you ever you ever notice that sometimes during the day there's something going on here you, you have some kind of feeling of fear anxiety or you're depressed and you say to yourself like what's going on I don't even know what, I, what am I depressed about you see I'm not conscious of it you ever think about that? You can be experiencing emotions without any awareness of why. It happens to people all day long. You know? Oh, like people who are depressed. Let's take an example, right? <coughs> or people who are anxious. You know? Uh, I says, what am I depressed about? I don't know. I, I'm not conscious of anything. You see what I'm saying? But yet something is making me depressed. It's got to be something. You know? I'm not born depressed, you know? Or a guy's anxious. Why am I anxious all day long, you know? Why am I nervous, right? You ever, you ever wonder, you know? I'm uneasy, I'm uncomfortable, which is anxiety, by the way, at a low level, you know? Yeah, uh, cigarette will go away. Yeah, yeah, a lot more will go away with the cigarette, uh, you know? But the answer to that is because we have an unconscious, we have an area of the mind that is concealed from us the unconscious right and what happens is there's a constant stream of thought that is going into the unconscious mind you see and those thoughts in the unconscious you see can influence us you know that's the whole concept of many ways that's the uh, many ways the, the underlying theory of, of uh, psychology psychodynamics is that there's an unconscious mind right that has that is thinking about things and um, a, a tremendous amount of them are negative. You know, and even if we're not aware of that, right, they have an influence on your feelings, on your emotions. That's the whole root of psychology, basically. And then the whole concept is how to get to them. You know, it's funny, because sometimes you're thinking, let's, take, let's assume you have to take an exam, right? For a certification, for a license, right? Right? So, during the day, there are days that you don't think about the fact that you got to take an exam in two weeks, right? You're anxious for two, for two weeks. Then you ask yourself, what am I anxious about? And you say, so, oh, wait a minute, I know I'm anxious because I'm experiencing anxiety of the exam that I've taken two weeks. But the question is, you just became conscious of that now, right? So then now you should be anxious. So why are you anxious the whole day? You hear the kasha, you hear the question. And the answer is because that you were anxious the whole day about that 
except you are not aware of your, 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 the fact that you were going to take an exam, but your unconscious was. So once it was in your mind, so to speak, unconsciously, you are now anxious the whole day, and it's only at the end of the day that you realize why. It shows you that there's an area of the mind that can actually influence you now, the whole day, you see? So the origin of all anxiety or fears or whatever is really in many ways what the unconscious thinks, you see. So therefore it would be great if you could block that stream of thought, wouldn't it? Because then you would stop thinking about all these things. You suppress it, yeah? No, you can't suppress that which you don't know. But there is a way to do it. Mind over backache. Mind over what? <laughs> a book from Dr. John Sarno. What, 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 what Sarno is saying is that, well, he was saying something else, you know. Sarno was saying that, you know, all backaches, you know, are really psychological, you know. Because <laughs> it's a defense mechanism for the pressure that's built up. Yeah, I once had a client, I just have to tell you this, you know, the guy, the guy was a radiologist. So he could read x-rays, obviously, he's a radiologist, you know. So the interesting thing about him was that he could not sit for more than five minutes. He experienced terrible back pains. Terrible, he just couldn't sit, you know. And, and the interesting thing about that, he had a documented herniated disc. I mean, he, and he read his own x-ray. Mm. So that should have provided the reason why he had a herniated disc, you know, all the way back there. Of course, you're not gonna be able to sit, you know. Yeah, and, and then he went to this guy, you know, Sarnoff, whatever, and said, no, 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 I have nothing to do with you on any day disc. There's something psychologically bothering you, you know? Right? Yeah. Okay, anyway, he was referred to me, because, you know, I'm a psychologist, a psychotherapist anyway, right? But he went to me, and I saw him for quite an extended time, you know? It took a while, it took at least a year, maybe a year and a half, and so on, you know? And he realized, after that year and a half session, that he had this incredible rage that he, he was a, he, in many ways he was a timid, docile guy. Nice guy, but he was very timid. And he realized, it took a while to get out, you know, that he was enraged because he had been treated like a schmata for years by his parents, whatever, and so on, you know. So when I released that, you know, I got it out, he, and he was like, he was enraged, he could feel the rage, you know. Guess what? So after I finished, you know, uh, the guy, guy writes me, uh, you know, what he calls me up and says, by the way, I just davened Yom Kippur. I sat the whole Yom Kippur. What does that show you? The rage had to come out somewhere. So it came out in his back, you see? Because a negative emotion that you have, ultimately, if you don't get rid of it, it has to express itself somewhere. So everybody's different. Some people have the, what's called the vulnerable spot. His spot was his back which is common, right? Other guys, the spot is the intestines, irritable bowel syndrome, you know? Some people, it's the stomach. Other people get migraines. You, you know, it pops out. The body has a vulnerable spot for all these negative emotions that you are not aware of and ultimately become psychosomatic. And that's what happened with this guy, you know? You know so I, I, I bring that up and, uh, you know, because we're talking about that now, you know, and so on. So thank God, Baruch Hashem, he was able to, you know, I was able to, Get rid of this, you know? But it just shows you that there's an area of the mind that can wreak havoc with you and you don't even know what it is. That's what psychotherapy really is all about. You know, there's something in you that you're not recognizing or dealing with and it can wreak havoc with your uh, ability to function. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's the same idea. You know, you can be anxious about something 
right? And you don't know what it is, you see? Because there is an area of the mind that, that does that. There's a way to stop that, by the way. It's written by a guy, Herbert Benson, Harvard University, that uh, it's called the meditation response and so on, you know? Uh, no, no, the re meditation response? That's what it's called, you know? Where you, you, the, the key is to stop the stream of thinking because that's what's doing it. The unconscious has a constant stream of thought. And if you could stop it, then theoretically, you should be able to get rid of it. Get rid of that, all that tremendous tension and all that, you know? So he guy's got a whole process, you know? I mean, I'll tell you the process, because uh, oh, yeah, I told you so much, I wanted to tell you this. Here's the process. One, step one, sit in a chair, you know? This is a little out of the bounds of Hashkofa, but since, uh, you know, we're talking about the, uh, if everything is controlled and so on, you know? You sit in a chair, one, you relax, try to relax the whole body by just thinking about each part of your body and just commanding it, relax, and you can actually feel it relax. If you, get, you can get good at it and so on, you know? Well, you now relax, right? And then what you should do is close your eyes and think of a word, any word. Uh, let's say the word one, one, right? And what happens is you should repeat that word one, like a, you know, with every exhalation of breath. Every time you exhale, say the word mentally, one. And do that, right? And uh, <clears throat> what's going to happen is you're going to begin drowsing, you can fall asleep. You're not supposed to go to sleep. You're supposed to think of this word one, whatever word you choose, like, uh, you know, with every exhalation. So the exhalation becomes like a metronome. So, and you do that for about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes. You do it twice a day. And in one week you're going to have this incredible peace, feeling of tranquility. Why? It's, and it's documented. This has been proved already, you know. Not only that, your blood pressure will go down. It will remove a great deal of pain. It has a tremendous amount of what's called physiological uh, aspects to it and so on, responses. Because what you've done basically is you stopped the negative stream of thinking in the unconscious mind. And that's what's responsible. The anxiety for the tension for the nervousness and the depression, try it, you know, you see it, it really works, you know. But you have to be, you know, do it twice a day, 15, 20 minutes, and if all of a sudden your mind begins to wander, which it will, very gently go back to repeating one. Don't be critical of yourself and so on. Try it, you see the reaction. If you really want manucha, you know, anyway. Uh, that's the idea, but anyway, the main idea so far, so we see therefore that all these things, like you said, a, 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 an idea can pop into the mind out of nowhere. So the question is, where is it coming from? And the answer is, there was some kind of connection in the unconscious mind that it formed for whatever, whatever, whatever the idea was uh, in, the, in the unconscious mind and just popped out. But what we know is really from these Kirchens Nevdalim, transcendental forces, you see. Anyway, so... That is a very important idea to know. And like I mentioned last week, there are ways to change that. And I told you there are different kavonas, shemas, yechudim, different intentions, kabbalistic intentions, that you can alter the malach to change the instructions, and he will deviate from the instruction pattern, and, and that's called white magic, and so on. So this is really what it's all about. Okay, I mentioned that last week. 
Now the Ramchal goes now into a very important area and um, which is that there's another force that you have to know about. <clears throat> we see the structure. There's a transcendental force that is uh, controlled by an angel, a malach, and that represents you. You're linked to it. It's your root and it's your counterpart in a spiritual world. And the movement can go either way, from force to you, or from you to the force, and so on. That's what we've seen so far. But there's something else. Um, can these instructions be changed in a natural way? Remember, it'll work naturally, but can things happen to you in a natural way that are good? Or can they, things happen to you which are bad? What will create that? When is a person, in other words, uh, a malach will all of a sudden manipulate that force and all of a sudden you trip and fall. Why? Why would he do that? You see. So I mentioned the concept of reward, punishment, changing the situations to give you a new type of test. But what determines that? What determines the changes, reward or punishment and so on? You see, that is the question. And the answer to that, which Ramchal brings down, is that there's a higher dimension of force. If the Rabbani Shalom illuminates, which means it's a divine presence, that force, you see, then the Malach will take your counterpart and do great things with it. All of a sudden things happen which are great. You know, you make a lot of money, you're very healthy, you know, you have, a, you have great marital relations in the sense of Shalom bias, you know, hey, it's fabulous, you know. What's doing it? Why is the Malach acting that way with your counterpart? And the answer is because that counterpart, that transcendental force, has what's called a ha'ora. It has a divine presence which is illuminating that force. You see, that's a very important idea. And of course, the divine presence illuminating that force, right, is determined by the mitzvahs you do, the chesed, and the good things that you do, you see? But what happens if God removes his presence? Then all of a sudden, the satanic force and the satan also has a force that can influence that malach. You see, that malach can be influenced to, uh, in terms of what he does with your counterpart. can be influenced in one of two ways. It can be influenced by the presence of God illuminating that, that force, your counterpart, in which case, great things will happen to you. But if God absents himself, then a satanic force will influence the malach to do bad to you. That's all kinds of situations. You see? So the satanic force, which is called the zoyamah, can influence the malach manipulating that counterpart if God is not present. So God doesn't directly introduce a bad situation to you. He removes his presence. And the Satan now introduces his presence, what's called a projection or an output or force called a zoyama. you see? And that, therefore, now influences your counterpart and bad things happen. Does he, you try, see. Does he shine the illumination on the force or on the malach? 
the illumination is shined on the Malach. You know, I mean, obviously the Malach is connected with the Force, yeah. and so on, you know? So in a certain sense, it's on both. So therefore, your counterpart could be e either in a state of Ha'ora, you see, which is a great state, you see, or which is called Tikkun, it's rectified, it's corrected, you know, or in a state of what's called Kilkul or damage, you see. But the force on that Malach and whatever their counterpart comes from one of two directions. Either it comes from an illumination by the Rabbani Shalom himself because of the good things that you are doing, the reward or whatever. And if God wants to punish you, right, then what he will do is remove his illumination, his ha'ora, his illumination, and the Sutton's I hate to call it illumination, but the Sutton's force, influence, which is called Zoyama, will now influence that Malach, and therefore that, that counterpoise is no longer in a state of Tikkun, is now in a state of Kilkul, damage. And therefore bad things happen to you, you see? So everything depends on the presence or on the absence of God, see? In other words, as long as God is illuminating, then the Sutton has no power whatsoever over your counterpart. It is only if the Bansham removes his presence that the uh, Sutton can now influence that Malach based on that, you see? So everything therefore depends on the presence or the absence of the Rabbanu Shalom. If you want to call it Shechina or the Divine Presence, whatever you want to call it, you see? So the Sutton has to wait. Is God present or is he absent? And he can only move in, so to speak, if the Rabbanu is not present, you see? And therefore, above the whole structure is these two great forces that determine what the Malach will do. It always works through Teva, but what's going to happen with the guy? You know, will he get rich? Will he prosper? Will he have tremendous uh, Simcha, Shalom Bayes, kids, Zivug, you name it. All depends on the, the two uppermost forces, which is the Rabbanishim on one side, or it's the Sutton on the other side. And that's all part of the Xera of how the world works, you see. Now obviously, so wait, and what, what, right? what influences the Rabbanishlam, obviously, is your deeds, right? Is your deeds, if you're good or bad, you do mitzvahs and so on, you know? Or if you're Russia, you know? <coughs> and so on, you know? So, what the Rabbanishlam may decide to do is even if you're Russia, Right? He will not subject you to certain force because maybe he wants to reward you here and not in the next world. You see? So he will illuminate your, the, the Malach and so on to constantly do good for you. But a person who is living a, a great life doesn't mean it's good because as we will see in the next Chalik uh, of the Ramchal, you know, a person can be eating up his reward. Ramchal is saying, you do not deserve to be in Oilam Habo or whatever. Therefore, I will I'm going to give you the reward here. And all of a sudden you find guys who are like, wow, these guys never go wrong. They just, everything they do, you know, whatever they touch turns to gold. The King Midas touch, you know, never, you know, and so on. So the question is, what does that mean? So usually what that means is that they're, being, they're going to be annihilated. It doesn't always mean that, but part of it could mean that he's absorbing all his reward here and then he's annihilated, but not first, first he gets Gehenna, then he's annihilated. Nobody escapes their judgment, you know. So, but he, what it does mean is that he does not have eternal life. He's annihilated, you know. For instance, 
let's take a Nazi, you know, who, who knows how many people he killed, right? But every, and no human being does no good at all. Everybody does some good, you know, maybe fed his parakeet, right? Or he said hello to his mother, uh, you know what I'm saying? There, no, nobody does all evil 24-7, right? But they obviously are incredibly evil people. So what God does is he, did not, he does not deny any type of reward to anybody, even if the person is destined for annihilation. So what happens is God will bring him back, right? And he will become, if he deserves that, if God wants that, you know, for the good he did, he will make him wealthy, you know, whatever. Give him the, you know, the unbelievable success. He will eat up that reward, right, for the good stuff he did, right? And then he will die. He will get his Gehenna for however long it takes him to absolve or to c cancel out all his uh, evil deeds. And then he's annihilated. In instantly vanishes, you see. So that's also a very important concept, you see. But the Bansham sometimes does that. I mean, I mean, many times he will do that because there's an incredible amount of evil people in the world. A great deal of mankind will not, will be annihilated. They don't realize that. Most of mankind, you know, unfortunately will be annihilated. You know, a lot of these people are reincarnations of, of, of uh, the ancient Assyrians, the Egyptians, you know, all those butchers, the Romans that lived and killed hundreds of millions of people over the thousands of years and so on, they're all brought back. And then there has to be, a, there's a judgment after they die. Is this guy going to be, have eternal life? In which case his judgment is to erase to his, and to atone for his misdeeds. Or is this guy, not a guy, what's called Ben Oilem Habo, he lost his membership. So therefore, but he did good. So God will bring him back, give him all the great stuff, so, you know, evil prospers. It uses up its merit, the guy dies, gets his Gehenna, then he's annihilated, you see. So never look, what it tells you, never look at what happened to a person to think about, well, is he evil or bad, or, or is he evil or good? You don't know, you know, it, that's why, you know, uh, it's impossible to know a person's position um, from the fact that he's successful or not successful. Many tzaddikim come back, you know, and they have sins, because everybody sins, so they have to expiate their sins, atone for their sins, so there are many tzaddikim that have terrible lives, all kinds of problems, you know, shidduch and divorce and sickness and bankruptcy, I mean, all kinds of poverty, you know, but they have to ex expiate, they have to, uh, what do you call it, uh, atone for that, and then they die, and, and whatever, and then they get the Ganeid, and then the Ilam Whereas many Rishoyim come back, and they are tremendously successful, you know, uh, and you should know, even if they're good, if they're not bad, you know, it doesn't mean they're evil now, but they come back, the purpose to come back, have a great life, and then vanish. Go to Gehenim and they vanish. If they undo what they did, so to speak, yeah, if they turn up doing, being good. No, they can't do tshuva because they don't know what they did. See, that's problematic, you know. Can't do tshuva. All they can do is increase. Forgive me for whatever I did for the last 4,000 years, right? That's what the guy's going to say, you know? So they can only just increase the amount of well, they're going to get here. 
Yeah. Well, it's not, in many ways, they can't do tshuva. In other words, they were so evil that God doesn't even allow them to do tshuva, which also, there's a certain threshold, you should know. There's a threshold that minimally you've got to be over the threshold to get eternal life. If you're below the threshold, you know, which depends obviously on your deeds in many lifetimes, but if you're below that threshold, you do not get eternal life. What you do is you do, however, get rewarded for whatever you did do. Of course, God will not rem deny anybody reward for the good he does. But then you get it, you know, and then you get Gehenna, whatever, and then you just vanish for eternal life, you know. Uh, but if you're above that threshold, then all of a sudden you can get, uh, you can have a miserable life, but that's really to remove, you know, uh, which presents certain very strange things. I remember I uh, once gave a shear and there was a woman who really uh, took to it and she did, she became a balanced chuva and so on. And all of a sudden after she became a balanced chuva, everything fell apart. <laughs> everything. <laughs> so she came back to me and said, what in the world's going on? I did chuva and everything got worse. So that there are different reasons for that, you know. But one of the reasons is until now maybe you were not really a Ben Oilem Habo. You're not going to get Oilem Habo. So therefore, everything that was happening to you which was good is to give you reward. But now that you did tshuva, you now became a Ben Oilem Habo, you're now ready or you're one of the members or candidates for the future world. But if that's the case, then there's a different accounting because what about all the sins you did? So they want to give it to here and not there, you see? So it's funny that you can actually do tshuva and it gets worse because you now joined a different club. It's called the Oilem Habo Club. The future world club, you see, you so that and uh, yeah, huh? you don't make well, at least she understood it. I don't know if she felt better about that because. <laughs> but at least, it, at least it made sense, though, you know, because this made no sense. You do tshuva and everything falls apart. Come on, you know. But that's probably what happened, you know. So now God put her in a different clubhouse, you know, and she's got to get, you know, and now God's interested in her status, not only giving her a future world, but in her position in the future world. You see, so he's got to atone, make sure he atones for everything here, you know. So when she gets there, you know, she can be, as they say, sitting pretty. You know what I'm saying? And that's why he does it, you know. So you cannot... You ca uh, no, I'm, I'm just giving you a specific, a specific case, which I've, I found very interesting. So I had to explain to her, you know, you are now, God is now looking at you as a different person. And based on that, situation that you now are a candidate for the future world he now wants to get you in a better position in that future world so he's now going to make sure that you atone you know and so on you know and uh but in the end everything is just like god says sadik viyosha in hazino sadik viyosha god is righteous and he's fair yosha he's straight he's fair ain't ovel there's no there's no injustice by god you know and uh, that's what it means that means Everybody who is alive, every single nanosecond of his life will be explained. Now that's, that's a pretty big challenge. God has to explain the justice of every nanosecond of your life. That's an instant of time, right? Why it was this way, why it was painful, why it was anxiety-provoking, you know? Could you imagine what the challenge is of God? Because if he cannot explain, think about that. If God cannot explain five seconds of your life, 
why you experience pain, then the Torah is false. Because it says, Sadiq Vyosha, God is righteous all the time. Ainovel. You see? You imagine what a challenge that is? You know? That's why the, uh, the, to atone for, for sins is even the minutest things. If a guy puts a sand in his pocket, Put a meter, you know the meter, you know what it is, it's a quarter? Who knows what it is today? But a quarter, and he puts it in the pocket. Instead of a quarter, he took out a, a let's say, a nickel. Ah, you gotta put it back. So that itself is part of the pain that will expiate. You know what I'm saying? Will cause a, a, an atonement. That's how far judgment reaches, even for the coin that you took out that was wrong and so on, you know? But ultimately speaking, each individual neshama, the Rabbanishim will sort of like sit down with the guy and say, let me show you what's called, this is your life video. And he's going to go through all the Gilgulim reincarnations for thousands of years. And you're going to see that every nanosecond is fully justified. You see. But more than that, he's going to show you that even though everything I did for you is justified, he's going to show you the things that I didn't do for you that would have been justified, but I saved you anyway. That's the real stuff, you know. That's called the chesed, the incredible kindness, and the and the and the what's called the mercy, compassion. These are the things I could have done to you, because you did deserve it, right? I didn't do it, you know. And then you realize that God was always in your corner, trying to save you, you know. So could you imagine if that's the case, where God is always in your corner, even though we don't realize that, you know? Could you imagine what it means that these people? You know, the, the, the ancient people, the, the Nazis, the Iranians, all these guys, incredibly evil people, that anyway God is, and he's in the corner of Goyim too, it's not just Jews. With Jews, he's in the corner because they're, they're the ones who bring the Tikkun to the Bria, they rectify creation. But he's really in the corner of all mankind. It's a mistake to think that it's only the Jews, you know, all mankind. So could you imagine how evil a guy has to be with God in his corner where God can't even save him when he's in his corner? How bad this guy was? That he couldn't even make, he couldn't even make the threshold? You know, and that's with God in his corner, you know? I mean, these guys, you, you have to realize the, the extent of evil that a person has to do to be below the threshold has to be staggering. And that's really what they were. I mean, you look at all the evil people, how many people died for nothing. I mean, you kill a person, you just don't kill him like Moshe Rabbeinu. You kill him, what he could have been, what he could have done, his future generations, you wipe them out. You see? It's terrible. The amount of loss of killing one human being is beyond measure, it's beyond comprehension. You see? So that's the incredible thing that God will show you. You know, it's not only that you deserved everything, Okay, at least that. But how much I could have done for you, and I didn't, because I'm in your corner. Everything will be shown, you know. Uh, so that, that's what we're going to deal with that in the next uh, section. Actually, we're almost there. Uh, in terms of the Hashgokha itself. What is the interaction between God and man, and how does that work? Most of the, this whole section is really the purpose of man, the purpose of creation, you know, the structure of the components, uh, the history of other Mauritians, and so on. In the next uh, one, he talks about how does God interact with a human being, and that will be we'll we'll talk about. Well, actually, we finished if I if I think correctly. Yeah, I think we basically finished. Did you finish yeah, make it seem. Okay, who's bringing the kugel next week? <laughs>
Well, it's not bad. It only took me six years. You were, you're talking about <laughs> I tell you. individuals. What? You're talking about how it affects individuals. But it applies to cities or countries also. Same exact thing. <clears throat> yeah, but in the end, God deals with individuals. There's no collective. I mean, you know, each you person is responsible. Detroit, you're not going to be in a good situation. Or Hawaii, where the lava is coming up all over. Well, that's your free will. You decide where you want to live. Nobody's forced them to live uh, in Hawaii. No, no. You, a person has free will. He can determine an enormous amount of his circumstances. <clears throat> you know? He doesn't always have total free will. Like I said, you know, there are, it, it's, you know, but a person has a tremendous amount of free will to do good or evil. And where you want to live, uh, a lot of this is subject to free will. But then again, a lot of it is subject to, you know, uh, instructions. Uh, you know, things which are ordained for you. It's called gazeras. They, you know, and you and they, you you are acted upon, as opposed to acting. You know, only God has the cheshbon. We don't know. We may think we have free will on this. Meanwhile, you're being compelled to enter, and so on. You know, and vice versa. You know, we don't we don't have a handle on a great deal of our actions. We don't necessarily know if it's free or if it's not. We have to act as if it's free, that's true. But we don't really know in actuality because we cannot distinguish in the human mind in, in any way if something is really free or not. Is you there see? any truth to the anyway. old wife's tale that if you change your name or you move, you yeah. can change your mind? Yeah, yeah, it's not an old wife's tale. It's a chazal. That's why they changed the name. You know, the xera is on this name, and maybe if you change it, the xera is not on that name. Or you also, a lot of things are decreed for you where you live, and so on. Yeah, it's not a, you know, it's a chazal. Shana mokum, shana Is that the Hobbit's shrine that the, 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 the mashkisim were around, so even a Jew that stepped outside was subject to the mashkisim? Well, he had to put the blood on the door. When he stepped outside. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly, you know, so playing a, around. A person who's made the wrong choices, either because he didn't know or he did know, after he undergoes the tikkun, where the Koshbarku was metara his soul and began him or whatever. You mean after every, the whole cycle, yeah. Right, so what, what can he expect in Oilam Haba? Well, first of all, there is no Oilam Haba now. You told my Ganeid. So what can he expect in Gan Eden? Yeah. Is he going to get anything? or Because you said no. he disappears. No, no, I'm talking about for the people who are destined to disappear. No, they don't get Gan Eden either. They just disappear. After they get him, they there, vanish. Isn't there for something who, someone who, he just took the wrong path. Doesn't he have a Tikkun ultimately? Well, what he has to do is come back again and continue the Tikkun. Yeah. A person has to keep coming no back. Rides. There's no free wives, no. Well, there is a free wife, but not in the sense that there's no such thing as grace where the Christians think about it, you know, free ride. No. The free rides come in the form of an assist, not a free ride. In other words, it, it, you have to work, but I will help you. I will give you chesed. I will give you rachmanus. I will, in many ways, you know, punish you here and not punish you there. All kinds of what's called assisting devices. But there's never a free ride. So is that not a contradiction to Ito Echashenah? Either Beito or, or, or what's the, well, Beito in Achish, well, means the Jews can bring the Mashiach through their tshuva, you know, through their righteousness. But if they don't do tshuva, it's 
Then God said, so then it sounds like, well, if we don't do tshuva, he's never going to come. So that in that case, God said, but I swear that he must come at a certain date. Now, I, what do you mean, if, how can he come at a certain date if the tikkun hasn't been done? And the answer is the tikkun, that's the guarantee that the tikkun must be done whether by mitzvahs, tshuva, or yisurin. That's where yisurin comes in. So yisurin will mop up all the bad stuff. You know what I'm saying? God would much rather prefer that the Jews repent to tshuva. But if they don't, then what's going to mop up the Averis and all that is the Asurin, Holocaust, all this kind of stuff. In many ways, that's what the Holocaust is. It's a mop-up campaign because the Mashiach is only, what, 60, 50, 60 years away. So God has to remove an enormous amount of the, what's called the residue sins that have been left over for thousands of years, you see. So he's got to do that. You know, it's called a uh, triage. Want to use that, you know? You told me that for the most part, most... I don't know if you said most of humanity or most of the Jews. At the end, of, after like all the question, at, at the end of the day, I'm not sure if you said about the game about everybody or just the Jews that they, most people make it into all the Yes, yeah, the overwhelming majority of, of, what? of Jews. Of Jews will make it in Toilem Hava. Overwhelming. Like actually it's a machloikas. The Ramchal seems to indicate later on that he calls miyot shebemiyot. An incredibly small amount of Jews won't make it to Ilm Habo. But I, I've seen people that disagree. I think the Baal Shem Tov said, if I remember correctly, the Baal Shem Tov says that God will arrange it in such a way where every Jew will get into Ilm Habo. You know, but for those guys who are bad, look, even Esav is in Oilam Haba. I told you the Medrash a long time ago. No, he kicked him out from that slot. From that slot. You know, it's a, the Medrash says that, that Esav tries to he grab. Tries to move up. He tries to move up, you know, all of a sudden unnoticed. You know, nobody's looking. All of a sudden he's in a higher, whatever the levels are, he's in a higher level. So a bunch of them says, Excuse me, you don't belong here. Get back down to yours. The question is, what's he doing in there altogether? How do you get into how do you get into Ganeden? Because once you're in Gaden, Ganeden, you're in Oilam Habo. Because Ganeden is really a holding station, you know. So you see that Ace of how did well did Ace of get in? You see, and the answer is Donald Trump. Yeah, that's how he gets in. Because Ace of was incredible Russia, but Ace of also gets in in a certain sense because he punished. He was used as a punishment for the Jews. But even then, he doesn't really get in because the Gemara says that, you know, Rome tried to say, well, we did all this stuff for the Jews. And God says, excuse me, what are you talking about? It was for yourself, you know, that you did it. It just happened that the Jews also indirectly had certain types of benefit from what you did. So obviously, uh, you know, God destroys their argument, you know. <clears throat> so you have to say that fundamentally, Esau does get in because of, of uh, what's happening now. mentioned it's the Toiv Sheba Esav. That's the one who gets Oilam Habo. So, so the people mentioned in the, in the, in the Parak of Chelek. What about them? So, no, see, you have to understand. They also get Oilam Habo. So I, it says, It means this. It means really, according to justice, they should not get in. But God arranges the way where they suffer so much that they are able to erase it. In other words, that's the chesed, that that's the chesed correct, so yeah. Earned, so the Gemara, of course the Gemara is correct. If they have no chelik no ilmabo, if he went with the strict rule of law, forget it. They, whatever they did is so grievous that they will not get oilim However, but the Russian can do whatever he wants. Remember I talked about that? 
the power of the redemption the Rotsen Elyon yeah Rotsen does what he wants but he you know so what he does is that he's going to subject them to terrible Gugulum you know a guy comes back in a Gilgal where he's retarded or you know God forbid you know or you know he's all of a sudden comes in with a major genetic disease and the guy suffers his whole life 70 years with that disease I mean you know but uh, so he'll get into Elam Habo you see because I'll be there and he really shouldn't God can do whatever he wants. So he, he, he arranged where the guy does get on the because he subjected him to such terrible uh, yesurin and pain. And there are, there are people like that. We, we know, yeah? There are a lot of people among Jews like that. There are what? A lot of Jews like that. Sure, sure. There's also the concept, a uh, different thing about, Dessler talks about the, the kudas of Bechira, that the battleground, the point of your Bechira. Yeah, well that's Bechira, yeah. The person who you look at and you say, well he's doing a verse all day, but because he was born into a situation, whatever it is, well, that, 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 that's I mean, complicated. That's because, no, no, that's, that borders on the concept of Chazal, don't judge anybody until you're in his place. What does that mean? Because when a person has an action, there are many, many different factors, you know, that, that enter. You know what I'm saying? What's his situation? What's his character? What's his vulnerabilities? Who are his parents? What about his peers? What about all of his experiences that, you know, a guy, when a guy does an Avera, he brings the whole picture behind him um, up until that point. We don't know what that is. He doesn't even know what that is. And God, who does know every single factor and the weight of that factor, he knows, you know, and that's what he's judged on. Sure. There are many people that do sins, you know, that's, that's bad news. Between you and another person is worse. So between man and God, that's one thing. God can overlook it. But between me and man and man, it's much worse. You know? And not only that, one of the reasons why it's much worse is because a guy knows when he's, he's hitting on some guy. He knows when he's doing terrible deed to his friend. You know, what does that have to do with religion? How do you do this to somebody else? You know, where's your sense of humanity? That's what it's called. Forget about religion. There's a concept called humanity. Where's your humanness? You see what I'm saying? That's why it's a stunning, you know, and for those th concepts, where's your humanity? I, I, you, 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 can't, you will not believe what happens to those guys. Because they can't say, well, I didn't know. I mean, you know, I, you know, what do you mean you didn't know? You know what humanity is? There's a natural predisposition to be merciful. You know what I'm saying? Where is that? You know, there are guys who went on a, a plane. You know that crazy guy, I think, now they say the guy, the, the, uh, the Malaysian airline that went down on the, you know, it's a suicide trip. So you want to commit suicide, excuse me, go on that building, jumped off the roof. What'd you have to take the whole plane down with you for? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what they say, it has to be a suicide. They figured it out, it can't be. And the other guy who in Switzerland, a couple, it was a year ago, two years ago, somebody crashed his plane into the Swiss mountains. It's also suicide. It was depressed. <laughs> so what? You know, you don't go from depression to be a murderer. That's a, that's a quantitative, that's a quantum leap. You want to be depressed, fine. But you, now you became a murderer? For what? The whole plane we're talking about. You know, 300 people, whatever there was on that plane. Yeah, what, what I, you know. But, so that's the concept of humanity. That's much worse. Because you don't need religion to be, you have humanity. Everybody, go. what God did when he created humans is everybody has this innate feeling of humanity. 
You're born with the feeling of humanity. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> Even without religion. So what excuse is I going to have? It's I wasn't different. religious. So what? Anyway. It's a different psyche. It's survival of the fittest. What is that? Yeah, what do you I mean? It's a jungle out there. You know what? Yeah. That's how they think. No, um, exactly. But that, um, I'm saying, but that's their judgment. It's like an animal. Survival of the fittest. Nah, it's not survival. What does it have to do with survival if he took the whole plane down with him? No, not in that case, but it just... It depends on the case. with other people. What is it, when a partner, chef... I'm going to do it yeah, yeah, yeah. before you do it to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, look, there's a lot of chizboinus. Yeah. Are we... Anyway. everybody here... We had past lives, or are there pure souls down from the first... No, there's no pure souls. None? Forget it. I don't know none. God doesn't talk to me. I don't know. But I'm sure there are certain people that... There probably there could be first time entries if you want to use that word, but, but you it's extremely the overwhelming majority ninety nine point nine nine percent is recycled neshamas. So we're all taking a makeup test. Every well, yes. Yeah, uh, well, it's not a makeup test in a certain sense. It's a completion test. We got to complete the job. You know, in the olden days, there were more people that were. Um, uh, were uh, new neshamas. Yeah, if you go back, you know, but today, you know, almost everybody is, uh, is recycled. He's got to finish his job, you know. Some people to, f to finish their job, some people to get the reward and then vanish. I mean, everybody here is for some purpose and so on, you know, and so on, you know. And this applies to Jews as well, to get the reward and vanish? Uh, it, for an extremely small percent, like I said, the, you know, the, although I, I saw that the Baal Shem Tov says that every, every Jew will get Ulam Haba, but there's a heavy price to pay, you know, and Jews, I mean, there are the, those Jews, for instance, that the worst, you know what the worst type of Jew in many ways is? The, mas, the Masira, the informers, those guys who call up the government and say, by the way, those are the worst, like it says in the Chazal, Gehenna color, the haim ainum column. Gehenna will end before their suffering ends. You imagine what that means, you know? And uh, the, they, they are the worst. That's why. Why are they worse than the aircraft? Well, uh, well, no, well, no, aircraft is different, you know? No, they're just unbelievable. Sure, there, there are many people that have informed, you know, Messira, uh, what do you call it? Uh, informer, yeah? On fellow Jews. Uh, and they have literally destroyed the people. Yeah, once the government comes after you, it's, uh, it's is midnight. It than, is it worse than killing that person? Uh, well, it, many times it does lead to... Um, uh, you know, you can kill a person many ways. You can destroy him emotionally, right. which is much worse because then the guy's got to live with it. At least you kill the guy, he's dead. You do, you, you, if you cause a guy to go bankrupt, you know, or all kinds of terrible disasters, this guy's got to live with it for years. But who can add the pain? So these guys who are Muslim, you see the Chazal say, you know, I'm a Muslim. And, and unfortunately, terribly, there are Jews that are Muslim. They, they squeal or rat, whatever word you want to use, or inform another Jews to the, to the authorities. You know, if a guy wants to do that, you know, you, know you, you, you need to ask a Rav, seriously, am I allowed to do this? And if there's a suffix, don't even think about that. Masir is the worst thing you can do that a Jew can do. In fact, it's so bad they had to make a brochen Shmon Esrei. 
What does that mean? They're called Malchin, the informers. Right? There should be no hope. That's a broken monastery. We say, three t- we pray for that sh- they should be damned. D A M N E D eternally. <laughs> Can you imagine how bad that must be if the rabbis, you know, so Shmuel Hakotan did that, you know? If they had to bring a bracha like that, you imagine that? Where every day all the Jews are praying for this guy's demise? <laughs> it's, like, it's unheard of, you know? That's how, that's how bad. They're, they're the worst. They're worse. And there are many Jews like that, especially those guys who became Christians, right? And they informed on the Jews. You remember that? They're, that's, Jewish history is filled with this kind of stuff. You know? Oh, yeah. You could, yeah, well, that, that, yeah, that's the Messiah. Yeah, the, the, the people sat in jail for years, especially in the Inquisition. The guy said, hey, I think the Jew, the Jew over there, you know, he's, somehow he's, uh, I see some candles burning in his house Friday night. And he goes and forms on the Inquisition. And they took the guy and put him in prison for the last 20 years. Imagine that. And, and they don't even give you the charge. You imagine that? I, I never understood that, you know? I mean, the Inquisition was supposed to be Christian, you know? So even according to Christianity, there are morals. It doesn't make sense. How does a, how do, how does a, a whole government agency take a Jew and put him in a prison without informing him what is charged? And they did. You could be in prison for 10 years. You had no idea who your accuser was. You didn't know what the charge was, right? And you didn't. And you were in prison for ten years. Pre, the, what? Pre-democracy. Wasn't it? No, 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 no. It's not that. How does a person? How does a religion call itself a religion? You know, and do that to a guy. You know, what, give him the, what are you afraid of? Give him the charge. Give him the evidence. Whatever. You know, how do you keep a prison? To me, it boggles the mind. How and they were Catholic priests. These are the guys who did it. How do they take a guy and not tell him what his charge is and the guy's in prison for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, has no idea why he's there. And those prisons those days, you know, it's not like the prison today where you had TV and, you know, and, 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 and rib steaks for dinner, whatever these guys get, you know. So I, what bothers me is not only how you do this to a guy, but you're, you're supposed to be a Christian priest. Where's your religion on this? Could you imagine how evil that is? Then you wonder why this guy, what will happen to this guy? Yeah, Torquemada, famous. You know, God will bring him back and he'll give him whatever good stuff he did. Could you imagine the Gehenim of this man? And this guy's a religious figure. I'm not talking about Hitler, you know. I'm talking about Torquemada or all the Christians, the Inquisition people. You know, it's amazing to watch, and I'll finish with this. The depths of evil, cruelty, barbarism that a man can reach is beyond comprehension. Think about that. You know, it's just incredible to look at the depths. How did they get down that way? You know, it's, it's like it's hard to imagine that th- there's no humanity in them anymore. It's basically a beast that is in human garb. There's no humanity. Humans don't do this. And even if you feel the guy's guilty, okay. But be just, be fair, you know. But how do you do this? Beyond belief. Tell you one thing. When God gets going with justice, you don't want to be a thousand miles from that place. You know. Although I always say to myself, I say to myself, you know, 
I don't know what God's going to give me, but there's only one thing I would ask of him. Just give me a box, a front box seat while I watch the justice of God because the evil of these people is just beyond comprehension. You know, it's just incredible.